You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Miss now, but man, what a blessing that is. And uh, you know, when I get to heaven, I'll be able to sing like that. Maybe not as high as Lydia, but it'll be just as pretty. And uh, but boy, what a blessing that is. And you know, I, I was thinking, I, I even wondered if we had sung All Hell the Power of Jesus' Name for my sake. For those who you weren't here a couple Wednesday nights ago, I was joking around how about I'd get, uh, just like I'm not the only one who gets prostate and prostate mixed up. And some of you are wishing I wouldn't bring this up again. But, uh, but I have accidentally sung that song, All Hell the Power of Jesus' Name, Let Angels Prostrate Fall. Uh, but Melanie had to correct me one time because I was loudly singing, as I often do, and I said, Let Angels Prostate Fall. Uh, instead, and uh, not the right words, and, uh, and, and, and you are not getting your prostate worked on or checked or whatever, I promise you, it's your prostate, anyway, uh, are we recording yet, anyway, all right, wonderful, it's great having live services, but it also reminded, because then we did another song after that, uh, Brethren, We Have Met to Worship, and I remember the kids, and I, I can't remember which kid it was, I think I remember which one it was, but they thought when it says uh, Moses' sister aided him, Moses' sister aided him, and I just laugh when I hear that because the kids thought it was Moses' sister hated him, <laughs> and Natalie's like, I can identify with that, amen, and, uh, but it reminds me of the little boy, you know, that was sitting in church, and his, uh, uh, he, he was hearing them sing, you know, uh, uh, the, in the garden, you know, that old song, you know, and he walks with me and he talks with me. And uh, the little boy just thought it was a moving song, but uh, just out of curiosity, he had an inquisitive mind. And finally, he looked up at his grandma and he said, Grandma, who's Andy? Who is Andy? Who's this Andy that we're walking with? Andy that we're talking with and all that as we go. And what's so exciting about that? Uh, yeah, wonk, wonk. Anyway, uh, I'll stick to my day job. Ne- Nehemiah chapter number 8. Uh, and, you know, I want to just, I was thinking about this message and studying as we've gone through the book of Nehemiah. And, you know, 11 years ago, I did, in, in the big scheme of things, kind of an unusual thing. I walked into a storefront in a strip mall, and I was considering leasing this storefront just over here on the other side of town, a couple blocks away, like everything in Elk Point is, and... I was thinking about that would be the birthplace of Elk Point Baptist Church. And as I'm standing there, the Lord just really settled us in my heart. This is the place that God would have me to start this church. But then Tim, just a great guy to lease from, and he says, well, well what can we do to the place to get it ready for it to, to, to tr- transform this into a church? And I said, well, Tim, here's what I need. I just need you to build a wooden platform And I'm going to put a wooden box on top of it. And I'm going to put a book on top of that wooden box. I'm going to get up there and tell people about it. So just give me a wooden platform. I got a wooden box and I got a book. Well, okay, (laughs) that sounds good, you know, but uh, but is that it? You know, I mean, you don't have any room for like some big case up there or some altar. And where's your statues going to go and your, uh, your candles and whatever? Nope, good. Just give me a wooden platform, wooden box. I got a book. I'll be good. So then I start going around and I say, hey, I'd love to invite you to, to, to the church. Oh, really? What's your church about? I was like, well, we got a wooden platform 
And we got this wooden box and we got a book up there I'm going to tell you about. I'm telling you all that to say, that, isn't that a funny thing? If you put it in those terms, if you simplify it down to that point. I mean, and think about from that point on, from that day until this day, that almost everything that we're, we, we do as far as in the church service, it kind of leads up to the point to where, what are we going to do? Well, I'm going to get up here on this wooden platform behind this wooden box, and I've got a book I want to tell you about. And again, here's the thing, though. It, there's nothing particularly special about the wooden platform. But there, the, the architecture of, of, of a church like this is actually pretty uh, intentional. It's pretty simplified. You, there's not a lot of hanging and dangling going on, and there's not a, 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 a one over here to speak from and another one over here and all these things. It's just, no, and we, thank God we've got room for, for, uh, for just some wonderful singers uh, to come up and stand. But ultimately, it leads to a man standing behind this box. So there's nothing particularly uh, special about this. This pulpit's pretty special in the sense that Dan Keel made this pulpit. Isn't that cool? Beautiful pulpit, did a wonderful job. It's special in that sense, but there's nothing supernatural about it. Sorry, Dan. There's nothing supernatural about it in and of itself. Though it's crafted with care, it's special. And there's nothing special particularly about this common man who's standing before you today. Uh, there's nothing particularly special about me. I mean, I've been called special, but, uh, you know, but, but nothing particularly special about me. Uh, the, you, know, the, the, this, you know, this silly guy up here just raising his voice at us for half an hour. Insert laughter because it's a little, usually a little bit more than that. Um, but, uh, you, you know, and, and one of my favorite things, I, I still get a kick out of it. It's kind of sad, but it's kind of funny. That last year, my first year to where I'm doing FCA and speaking in the school on a, on a weekly basis, and, uh, and I think uh, a girl, I can't remember exactly how the whole conversation went, but ultimately somebody asked Natalie, she was like, who's that guy with that stupid accent? <laughs> so it's just this guy up here with this stupid accent. There's nothing, that's who I am. I'm just a, a redneck from North Carolina, uh, grew up being considered white trash that happens to be, you know, I, I, I cleaned up and shaved and put on a shirt and tie, but there, that's it. So it's not that everything's leading to this wooden platform or to this wooden box uh, but for, and, or to me. And uh, I told somebody Wednesday that I was called a great orator the other day. Can you believe that? Don't laugh. Uh, you're supposed to say, well, that's correct. But you're laughing still. So, no, I was called a great orator. And I'm like, what in the world? But it's not about my oratory skills. And it's not about any of that. Folks, ultimately it comes down to the book. You say, well, where does that come from? Well, it's interesting that God said for one thing in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, He says, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, listen to this, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The, God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that would believe. Now, he's not talking about preaching being foolish, but what he's saying is, when I describe it to you like I just described it to you, you're like, well, that's all kind of silly. But it's not just any preaching. Because in the same chapter there, Paul says this, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us that are saved, it is the power of God. So ultimately, the message is the message of the cross. But... That which we are doing at this moment, right now, as I stand before you, where did it come from? Where did it start? Well, in our text today, you can go all the way back to 465 B.C. 
And this text sounds pretty familiar. Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. The Bible says, And all the people, people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate, from morning until midday. By the way, this is about five or six hour service. Not today, don't worry. Uh, what I'm reading about to you in the Word of God. From morning until midday, before the men and women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people, listen to this, were attentive to the book of the law. So people willingly gathered together to come hear this man read from probably the first five books of the Bible for about five or six hours. But now it really, from what we will read in just a moment, it, it doesn't seem like he just literally got up there and read for five or six hours, then everybody went home. And by the way, they did this for, a, for an entire week. They did this every day for a week. And the Bible continues to say right there, in verse number 4, And Ezra the scribe stood up upon, listen, a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mataniah and Shema and Ananiah and Urijah and Hilkiah and uh, Masai. And on his right hand and on his left was Pediah and Meshuel and Malachi and Hesham and Hash. Badana and Zechariah and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, the people stood up. I meant to get y'all to stand up today just because of this. So if you notice, every once in a while, we'll have a, there'll be a preacher, a visiting pastor that'll come in and say, can we all read, stand while we read the Word of God? And, and this is where that tradition comes from. But all the people stood up when he opened up the book, in verse 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. In other words, he was praising the Lord. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Lifting up their hands. Oh boy. Uh, what kind of church is this, you know? They were saying Amen. They were lifting up their hands. The pastor is blessing up the Lord. Now who are the people doing this? The men, the women, all them that could understand, which means the, the children as well, that were of an understanding age, they all were saying, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands to the Lord. And, uh, and, and there's some people that question, have questions about that, but you see that God, these people, didn't say all the men, but it said all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And then they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they got down prostrate, on the ground, face down. And uh, then it goes through all these fellows' names again, but I'm going to drop down to the last section of verse 7 where it says, And the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, and they gave the sense, and they caused them to understand the reading. So here's what's going on. Again, for a whole week, 
And there, there's a reason for this, by the way, that I may have a moment to mention because it's connected with some of the Jewish feasts that do have an influence on Christ and what we believe today. But they constructed a pulpit of wood. They had a man stand up on it and open up the book. Open up the Bible. The difference was he had 13 other men up there, so there was 14 men altogether. So probably they were taking turns doing some reading, but it said also that then they made the people to understand. So surely in this group of thousands of people that, there were, that these men would have paused and said, okay, do you understand what's being said right here? Here's what God is saying to you. Here's how this applies to your life. And no doubt there were people that were in the midst of the congregation that they would pause and come around and say, so Dan, did you, what did you think of that passage? What, do you understand what it's saying? Um, you know, what, what's your understanding of it? Well, this is what it's saying, right? Yes, that's what it's saying, or no, it's not. And they would work through the understanding of the Word of God. And by the way, that's one of the things that takes place uh, in Sunday school. This morning we were in here, adults were in here, teens were in there, and you know what? Everybody was in a place getting understanding, breaking down the Word of God. We, what I'm trying to tell you is that what we do today, you can see, is a biblical principle going back a long ways. And we'll continue here. The Bible says in verse 9, And Nehemiah, which is the uh, Tishatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe and the Levites, taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the word of the law, the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom, this, whom nothing is prepared. For this is holy unto the Lord. This day is holy to the Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for this day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. For, and all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words which were declared unto them. Now, so this, what I was telling you, the kind of what we do, you can see this going on in 465 B.C. But the reason this is going on in 465 B.C. is because it was first ordered to take place around 1400 B.C. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, and Moses wrote this law and delivered it unto the priest, the sons of Levi. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, in the solemnity of the year of release, in the Feast of Tabernacles. And by the way, they're getting ready to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles here in Nehemiah. When all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together. Listen, men and women and children and thy stranger that's within thy gates, that they may hear, and that they may learn, and th that they may learn the fear of the Lord your God, and observe to do all the words of this law, and that their children which have not known anything may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. As long as ye live in the land, ye go over to Jordan to possess it. So what we see is a couple things about, again, bringing it back into context, I thought about, I entitled this message, The Word Front and Center. 
Because I thought about, you know, I was thinking about a stage, and I was thinking about a spotlight, and I was thinking in, in, a, in a New Testament Bible preaching church, the Bible is the spotlight. He said, well, isn't Jesus the spotlight? Yes. But where do we learn about Jesus? Where do we learn about who Jesus is? We learn about it through His Word. Therefore, the Word, it's, it's, it's under the spotlight. So I thought about saying the Word front and center. That's what I titled the message. But then I thought about something that's a real practical title on how to get the most out of church. <laughs> how to get the most out of coming to church. Because in this passage, we see something pretty remarkable. We see Ezra standing with the book. And some of the things that we learned that I hope that we can apply to ourselves is, number one, they gathered expectantly. I borrowed this outline, not the words, but the outline from uh, Truth For Life. But, but they gathered expectantly. In verse 1, it says they gathered publicly in the water gate. The water gate, in other words, they didn't even go off to the temple. They had a temple, but they didn't go to the temple. They met in the public square. And I'm glad that, this, that our worship is meant for public consumption, isn't it? It's, it's meant for all to be a part of. They came to the public square. But not only did they come to a public place, they also came in unity. The Bible also says in verse 1 that they came as one man. As one man. You know what? Isn't it a beautiful thing when a church, a group of people can come together as one to worship God? And it's not just all about, you know, a hundred people saying, okay, what individual thing can I get out of this as, as a person? But it's actually a hundred people coming together and saying, you know what? What can I contribute to this? How can I be a blessing and a part of this? They came together as one man. They were in unity. Psalm, 22, Psalm 122 verse 1 says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go unto the house of the Lord. These folks came with, they came with expectations. They were looking for something from God. Can I tell you something I learned years ago? I heard it, I learned it from people telling me, then I learned it by experience. You'll often find what you're looking for. If you're looking for an imperfect pastor to criticize, you're not going to have to look too far. All right? But if you're looking for a glorious God to praise, guess what? You're not going to have to look too far. Amen? If you come looking for a blessing, guess what you'll probably get? A blessing. In other words, come expectantly. Come saying, I want to hear from God today. Sometimes we may come and say, I need to hear from God today. These people willingly, they were not made to gather together. They willingly gathered together. They willingly came together as one man in unity to hear the word of God. See, they are the ones who said, bring out the book. We want to hear the book. See, they knew what was about to be said. Here's what they were saying. They were saying, we want to hear what God has to say. We want to hear what the Lord has commanded. We don't want to hear much from you, Ezra. But we want to hear a lot from God. We don't want to hear your opinions and your notions. Just read the book and explain it to us. Just open it up, read it, and help us understand what it means. Apply the book for us. And that, that, that'll be good enough for us. That's what we want. Bring us the book. Give us the book. Share the book. It's not all about, you know, again, it, it, church is not... Man, I'm telling you, for any 
pastor, any God-called preacher, you know what the goal is? The goal is not for people to leave here saying, wow, what a pastor. The goal is for people to leave here saying, wow, what a Savior. What a God. How wonderful He is. Amen? That's the goal. And, 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 if, and if Christ is lifted up, that is the goal. It reminds me of, a, of, 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 of an illustration I heard many years ago. And they, they, the, the, the pastor of the church was a very large man. I mean, you know, six foot something tall and just big and broad. And there was a picture of Jesus uh, that was right behind the pulpit. But he was so large that there was a young man that would sit up toward the front that you, would, you couldn't see Jesus when the preacher was preaching. Well, they had a visiting preacher in one time, and he was of a smaller uh, build. And as he uh, stood up there to preach, that little boy observed, and he said, You know what? You can see Jesus a whole lot clearer when that preacher's preaching. And you know what? I want my, the goal in my life is for people to see Jesus really clear when I'm preaching. Because ultimately, see, that's what this book's about. Why, why the book? Why the Bible? Do you, oh, you folks worship the Bible? No. Even though, you know what God said? He said that he's, at work, he's, he's exalted his word above all of his name. Think about that. You think the name Jesus is important? You think the name of the Lord is important? God says, I've exalted my word above my name. Why? Because it's through the word of God that we learn, number one, what do we, we learn a couple things through the word of God. Now, we learn who we are. And I'm jumping ahead of myself here. We learn who we are through the Word of God. Which, can I tell you something? That's one of the reasons some people don't receive it very well. It gives you an identity. And one thing that it identifies every man as is it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. All right? So we're reluctant to hear that. But it tells us that. God's Word tells us that. But here's the thing, folks. God's not stopping there. God wants us to know that because here's what happens if people aren't careful. They hear that and what you found out in this passage is people mourned over it. People cried over the fact that they had sinned and they had transgressed against God. Because there is a good kind of grief. If you don't believe it, just ask Charlie Brown. Uh, there is a good kind of grief. There is a good kind of guilt. Now, again, true Christianity doesn't use guilt as a weapon on people. Now, there's people that do that, but true Christianity doesn't do that. But there is a good guilt. There's a guilt that leads us to God. Because that's what this does. God, His Word reveals to us who we are. But ultimately, I should back up. Because when we understand who God is, this great big holy God, and then we see who we are, we're like, man, I'm in trouble. But God doesn't stop there. Because He also reveals that He loves you. He also reveals that He has made a way for your sins to be paid for so that you might be restored in a relationship with Him. If you don't know Christ, He wants you to know Him today. The, the Bible is a story of redemption that all leads to Christ. And it leads to God reaching out for sinful man and making us something else. And so He identifies me initially as what I am, and that's a sinner. But when I hear his word, how that he came to this earth, he bled, he died, he lived a sinless life, he rose again the third day, and I, and I receive him as my Savior, folks, guess what? My name gets changed to saint, and so does yours. My name gets changed to uh, victorious. My name gets changed to accepted. Now my identity is accepted in the beloved. I know that because of this book right here. I know that because of this book right here, I'm accepted. I'm loved. I'm, I, I matter. I mean something to Him. I'm the, I am the object of God's love. 
I learned all that through the Word of God. And so these people gathered and they gathered expectantly. And folks, may I just say this? That I'm preaching to you today. You know, we could argue on the cusp of one of the, the greatest elections in, 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 in history. Most important, perhaps. And, uh, and then somebody says, preacher, you know, you know people say that on every election, don't you? You want to know why people say that every election? Because every election is the most important election we've had to this point. It really is. And you say, you understand where we are in the world right now? Hey, did you see what happened in China the other day and all this stuff? Absolutely I do. But folks, if you ought to come on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. We have a great time of fellowship and Bible study, usually from 7 right to about 8, wonderful time. Uh, but on, on Wednesdays, we're, we're learning about how to live in light of the last days. First Thessalonians is dealing with people who are living in the day that, we, that you are living in right now. Wednesday, we're going to be preaching from a book that deals with how to tell you how to handle what you're facing right now. Okay? But it's just, so here's the thing. But in that book, you know what he says? Keep preaching the Word. Why? Because where else in this world are people going to find truth? Life-changing truth. People are confused. People's fears are out of control and it's growing. You know the level of fear and anxiety in the world today? You look at the studies on top of that of loneliness. Folks, loneliness is like an epidemic in the world today. Loneliness. And how many of you know that loneliness doesn't mean that you're not around? It doesn't mean you're alone. Loneliness, it's something, it, it's just that sense of being separated. It's that sense of just being somewhere so far away. It's an epidemic, seriously, in our world. But here's what I'm telling you today. This world is not providing answers for that stuff. Now listen, I'm not against medication in the right, in the right circumstances. Do, do not misunderstand me when I say that the answer is ultimately not in medication. In other words, if you just want to cure people's fear, it's not just self-medicate. See, there's better answers than that. It, 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 for, for those who, who feel so rejected and hopeless and lost, this has the answer. That's why, yes, with everything going on in the world today, we are to come in here and folks, and we're to open up this book and we're to come in here expectantly saying, okay, God, give me something. I'm looking for something from you that, that can help me be a blessing to this world around me. Folks, these people gathered expectantly. At every point in history when society has turned around as a result of the people of God being stirred, in other words, a revival, the times that God has moved and changed societies, at every point, it's been directly related to preaching. What happened in the book of Acts? Peter stood and he opened the book and he preached. Turned the world around. I mean, you can go just right on through history. You can study any revival. Oh, my friend, and what did he preach? He said, men and brethren, listen to this. This Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made Him both Lord and Christ. So He opens the book, He gives the truth, and notice what it says. And when they heard this, the people were cut to their heart. And they said one to another, men and brethren, what shall we do? 
So God's Word leads us to something. We come expectantly. It's not just entertainment, you know. I mean, me up here giving a little dance. Is everybody entertained? You know, everybody happy? Is everybody, you know, am, am, am I doing a good job? No, it's not what it's about. Now, I like to entertain a little bit. Just And you know one of the reasons I even tell jokes? Because I'm just trying to get people's attention and keep them engaged so that I can tell you the Word of God. That's what it's really about. This isn't about entertainment. This isn't about anything like that. Folks, it's about the truth. And that's what this world needs, and that's what's going to make a difference in people's lives. They gathered expectantly, but they also gathered attentively. They listened attentively. They gathered expectantly. They listened attentively. Man, isn't that amazing? I told you already how long they were out there. But this is the thing, listening attentively. God gave Ezra, God gave Ezra the ability and the authority. So as I stand before you right now, I have the ability and the authority to open up this book and preach to you. But the people had to give him the opportunity and the invitation. In other words, we both have a part in this thing. That's why I, that's why I thought about calling it, you know, getting the most out of church. You have a part, I have a part. And so when we, we gather together, just like Ezra Ezra did there in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 2 he brought this before the people and he began to preach to all those that were of understanding and the, un, the, the, the instruction there that he gave now so when we talk about gathering not just, not just expectantly but attentively in order for us to have a realistic experience when we come together and the preaching and teaching of God's word takes place there has to be something more than just a knowledgeable preacher banging up against the box, you know, uh, you know that's, that's just trying to communicate. There's two things involved. The congregation has to come prayerfully expectant, and whoever has the privilege of teaching and preaching has to come prayerfully expectant. Then when you have the meeting of expectations before God, then God will do what He has pledged to do through His Word. But if you have one, someone who speaks just merely to hear their voice or to impress people, or if you have a congregation that listens merely to be tickled and entertained, then there's no real proclamation, then there's no significant reaction. In other words, it's not going to lead to a transformative moment in your life. And the fact of the matter is, is Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. In other words, God's word will transform you. Because here's the thing, I could get up here and talk all day about what God can do for you. And about what God said. But until I begin to tell you what God said, open the book and share that with you, it's not going to penetrate. But here's the cool thing. God's word, when it's spoken, it can get in there where I can never get. It can get into your heart and into your mind where I could never get. And aren't you glad that there's a God in heaven that has a book on earth with a heavenly message that's trying to get us not only to be victorious through this life, to know Him through the circumstances we face in this life, but ultimately to get us to heaven with Him? A God in heaven's put a book on earth so that we might be able to live heavenly on this earth. So they gathered expectantly. They listened attentively. How many of you know it's hard to listen? I mean, I mean, listen. I mean, honestly, for whoever you are, man, attention spans go like this, right? It's kind of cyclical. And man, when you're a guy like me, it can be tough. 
Uh, and I, I've got to be very intentional uh, about listening. It's honestly one of the reasons I sit on the front row. Because I have a hard enough time listening without looking at the back of y'all's heads and what y'all are doing. <laughs> uh, if I could, it's easier for me if I'm just looking right there and I can stay engaged a little more and I may have to stop and pray. But, it, but because it's not always easy to be attentive. But if we can come in saying, Lord, help me to be attentive, you have a message for me today. If you come and expect it like that, I'm telling you, God will have a message for you today. Okay, so gather expectantly, listen attentively, and then they, they responded properly. I love what the Bible says here. Uh, verse 7 says, they instructed the people in the law while they were standing. And we've kind of talked about that already. They explained it. They, the Bible says distinctly. They, they, they distinctly made it to be known. That word distinctly means that it was explained in a language and in a way that the people could understand. So there was a box that contained a book that introduced the Savior to, to them that could change their lives. Because that's why we lift up the book. That's the significance. So if there's absence of other things, folks, as long as the book is being opened and proclaimed. Because it's only in the scriptures that God has revealed himself savingly. He has not revealed himself savingly in any other created thing. Save his son and his book. Because here's the thing. You can look at creation and know there's a God. That's why men ultimately in, in, in the, the deepest dung, jungles find some God to worship because this is bigger than me. You look at, so you can look at creation and know there's a God, but you can't know Him in a saving way. All right? You, you, because of your conscience, you can know there's a God. And I'm going to talk more about that later. That comes back to that guilt thing, uh, that guilt thing that God puts there. You know, uh, Freud years ago, uh, and, and listen, yeah, Freud, Marx, Darwin, all those three dudes, they all go together and have influenced our modern society greatly. But among those, Freud just said the, the guilt is just a sense. He lived in a, a much more religious world, if you will. Uh, that was, uh, there was a lot of Christianity that uh, influenced the world at that time. He said all guilt is is something that's being forced on us by religious people, basically. If we didn't have religious people forcing this guilt on us, if, if our kids weren't being taught right and wrong and they were just taught everything was okay, they would never feel any guilt. Now, we know that's not true, don't we? Because why do people still feel guilt? Even when they're told, they're told that they're an absolute cosmic accident. They're told that they're, they're an animal, just as, I mean, it, you know, they're told they're, told they're an animal. Well, just like any other animal is. So then, but then when they behave like an animal, what happens? Guilt comes in. And isn't it interesting how people get outraged when somebody tells somebody they're a cosmic accident, there's no creator, they just happen to happen, and you're just like any other, uh, you know, life force or animal in the world? We don't get too mad when animals kill other animals, generally speaking. People teach people that, and then they get outraged when somebody goes and kills somebody. They tell that person that truth is, uh, you know, relative, that, I mean, uh, you know, what's right for you is right for you, what's wrong for you is wrong for you. Then they get outraged when somebody goes and, you know, uh, commits a bunch of terrible sexual acts against the will of other people. Well, maybe that was right to them. See, they try to have it both ways. But I'm trying to get back to the point of this. The reason they're so inconsistent with this stuff, 
The re- can, can, you imagine, can you imagine living in, the, in a world, which we kind of live in today, but I'm glad this isn't the world that I live in, to where tolerance is the ultimate virtue? That's awful. You know? Well, what a wonderful thing if we just begin to communicate to each other. You know, Chris, I really tolerate you, buddy. I'm just able to put up with you. I can tolerate you. I'm glad I have a message that's greater than that, and it's this. I love you. I love you. See, but, 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 I'm, but, but I'm glad I live in a world that makes sense. I'm glad I live in a world that makes sense. I'm glad I live in a world of truth. I'm glad I live in a world. Why? Because of this book right here. And God reveals all these things. So the thing I'm just simply trying to say is they responded properly to what they heard in the Word of God. What did they do? Amen. Amen. You know, I mean, and, and lifted up their hands and they praised the Lord. I heard about this the other day. I, I, I kind of forgot about it. Some of you remember when Reagan Rochester still was with Brady Rochester. Would they come sing for us every year? And now uh, Reagan was just one of those people. She wasn't a very smiling kind of person. You know, she just kind of would sit there and she'd sing. And even when she'd say, not a lot of smiling, not a lot of that going on. But then somebody comes up to her in one of the churches they were in, and, uh, and, and they said this to her, you know, you ought to smile more. We'd love to, you just need to be smiling more when you're up there. Uh, show us that you're happy. And she's like, I'm giving you the same face that you're giving me. Ain't that, so people are sitting out there like this. You know, she'd be okay if she'd smile a little bit more. You know, I mean, what are we talking about? Hey, listen, may God help us. Man, listen, I, I, I'm trying to quit, y'all. Uh, but what I'm trying, why, why can't we get excited about the Word of God? My goodness. I, I mean, listen, when I'm just, I'm sorry, but man, Lydia's up here singing, and did you hear what she was saying? Now, I get excited. I talk about this all the time. But I get excited when the team I'm pulling for is doing well. I'm a hater. Sometimes I get just as excited when the team I'm pulling against is doing bad. And that's kind of where I live a lot of times when it comes to the NFL and stuff. But, but still, uh, I get excited. Yes! You know, whoo! And I think that's fine. But seriously? Seriously? In Christ alone? Oh my goodness gracious. He, he came for me? He bled and died for me? Mm-hmm. Wonderful. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Uh, no! Why not? Yes! You know, I, I, I've told you, man, I, I want to try to get the teens one day to all paint, you know, J-E-S-U-S, go shirtless on, and just stand up and go crazy one Sunday. Get Chris to do it too. I'm really not going to do that. Uh, but I'm just saying, well, there's people really nervous about this. I'm not doing that. But can there be a happy medium somewhere? Maybe? Just hallelujah. I'm not really feeling it. So what? I'm not talking about feeling. I'm talking about the book. I'm talking about truth. I'm talking about amen, amen. Right? And listen, they weren't even playing any instruments when they did it. Nehemiah, can you imagine that? Nehemiah was up there telling them what the book said and people were amening him. My goodness. Man, there's some Midwestern pastors that probably have a heart attack if folks started amening them. Right? I'm like, oh my goodness. But anyway, 
Uh, they, they responded properly. Uh, and then, then this. They departed joyfully. And that's what God wants you to do. I love this. I love this. Because the people heard something. They, they, they realized because, you know what God's word started shining on them? Some dark places in their life. I just heard this the other day and I think it's a wonderful truth. Heard about a lady, been saved for a long time, walking with God a long time. But she come to the preacher and she said, Preacher, she said, I want you to pray for me. She said, I feel like the longer I'm saved, the worse I realize I am, the worse I am. And he said, well, congratulations. You're doing it. She's like, no, preacher, you must not have understood me. I'm getting worse. The longer I'm saved, I'm getting worse. He says, no, ma'am. He said, you're just realizing how bad you really are. Congratulations. The, more, the closer you get to God's light, the deeper His light shines and you start noticing things. Right? You see what I'm saying? So what happens? God's Word reveals our shortcomings and our sin. And there's a good grief I told you about. There's a mourning. But that's not where God wants it to end. How many of you know some preachers and teachers and churches just want to end it right there? You sorry low down dog, now give me some money and it'll make it a little bit better, you know. Something like that. But no, sir. God said, no, no, we're not ending it there. Matter of fact, you go to these texts and, and what you see Nehemiah do in verses 9 through 12, Nehemiah comes, come, comes through and he says, okay, enough crying. Cut it out. Stop. Quit mourning. This is a joyful day. Yeah, you've learned about your sin, but now you've learned about his forgiveness. You've learned about how, yes, you come up short, but now you've also learned about how he comes up tall. Amen? He comes up big. Hey, he does the saving. It's about him. Glory to God. He says, okay, that's enough crying now. And then he goes on and gives the famous words there. I think it's in the last part of verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He said, I want y'all to go to dinner today. Go have a Sunday meal. That's what he tells us. Go eat. Go to your houses and rejoice. You want to know something? God don't want it, never wants one person leaving this church broken and sad. You know why? Because He wants you to leave restored. Now, maybe burden for the needs of others. Don't misunderstand me. But if, but if it's a sin issue, He doesn't just want you beat down and say, Now, get out of here, you low-down dog. No, 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 no. He wants you to see your sinfulness and say, Now, bring that to me and let me do something with it. He's good, folks. They left joyfully. They left joyfully. And may God help us, His people, to walk joyfully and to live joyfully. Yes, even in these last days. Why? Because I've got the book. I've got the book. And I know what the book says. And I know what the God of this book says. And I know the truth of His power. I know the truth of His wisdom. I know the truth of His love. Therefore, I can pillow my head at night right on this book right here and His promises. I can walk through these days, these uncertain days, holding on to these words right here because they are the words that tell me about my wonderful and great God. That's the reason why we build a wooden platform, put no wooden box up here, and just some old common fella gets up here and opens up the book. Amen? And that's the reason that that's still the focal point because, folks, it's what God ordained and it's what still works. Let's all stand, please. And I don't know the need on your heart today, but God does. I appreciate your patience today.
Has the Lord worked on your heart? Now here, remember, I, 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 I rushed through that last sequence, but here's what happened. They stood. The word of God was proclaimed. The people initially praised the Lord. They got under conviction and thought, man, wow, if God's that holy and I'm this sinful, you know, I've got some, uh, I got some confessing to do. I got some praying to do. But then after they came and confessed, then, then, then Nehemiah says, you got, some, you got some rejoicing to do now. But I tell you, one of the first steps is deal with your sin. Hey, if God's Word lays a finger on sin in your life, get it right. But I've got something even greater than that to say. If you're here today and maybe God's Word laid a finger on this, that maybe you don't know Him as your Savior, and that you are still lost, you're still in that sin of unbelief that separates you from God. That's bad news. The good news is, His hand is outstretched still. He, still. he holds His hand out to you at this moment and says, if you will humble yourself, you will admit your need for me, I will save you. And you can leave here joyfully. Amen. If you're here today and you're not saved, Jesus died. He came and He lived. He bled and died so that He might pay the penalty of your sins. He rose again the third day that you might be justified. He did all that for you. And you just need to receive Him as your Savior today if you haven't done so. The way you would do that would be like this. If you would pray with me today, from your heart you could pray these words. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit to you today that I am a sinner. I have sinned. I have come short. But Lord Jesus, I also believe that you went to the cross to pay for my sin. I believe you died there and that you rose again the third day. And Jesus, I want you to come into my heart and my life right now and be my Lord and my Savior. I want to live for you. Now, I don't know if you prayed that prayer or not, but if you did, it's just not words. It's from the heart that man believes to righteousness. But it does say, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, dear God, for your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, that 30 years ago, there was a fella that stood up on 